Uh, we ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title. Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this week's episode, we have Dr. Lauren Bailey. Dr. Bailey is an optometrist, and she is in the great state of Texas, where she works at the Sports Vision Institute. In this episode, we are talking about vision, all things vision. Um, Dr. Bailey has has gotten into the, the baseball space, pitching, hitting, been working with, with both on a regular basis, and she gives some incredible insight into how the eyes work, some of the background, and some of the studies that have been done on vision and, and vision training. And then lastly, she gives some applicable ways to be able to help players improve their vision. And so I have added all the recommended um, links that Dr. Bailey said during this episode in the show notes page. So she actually was kind enough to give us her own program to do. And so if you want to download that, make sure to click the link in the show notes. It's completely free. So hope you enjoy this one with Dr. Bailey. Another reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy learning something new from all the incredible guests we have on every single week, Please share this episode with somebody. Please tweet about it on social media. Leave a rating on iTunes. This podcast is going to grow through word of mouth more than anything else. So if you enjoy the show, please share it. All right, here we go with Dr. Warren Bailey. This is the future. This is my time. I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. I'm holding my crown. All right, we now welcome onto the podcast Dr. Lauren Bailey. Dr. Bailey, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. This is fun. So I tell you what, I I was um I was on a plane ride for about seven hours, or I think it was a seven and a half hour plane ride. Um, not that long ago, I was over in Ireland, and on the way back, I was had a lot of time to kill because I was on the plane. And so one of the things that I did is I started thinking about vision, and I started thinking about hitting, and and because like, I feel like I've always had a little bit, I would say, of a fixed mindset when it comes to to vision training. Whereas, like, yeah, you either have good vision or you don't. Because it was always my thought that if you have bad vision, you could get contacts or, and you could do some stuff to to try to get you to average vision. But I'd never really heard of someone with with pretty good vision and getting to great vision. And so I was listening to a podcast um, on the the Huberman Lab podcast. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they were talking about is is how there there really hasn't actually been a whole a ton of research yet, but it's look it's actually optimistic, pretty optimistic that shows that you you could potentially take somebody with good vision and help them be, get attain great vision. I think it was Dr. Jeffrey Goldberg on the podcast. Um, I don't know if you've listened to that one or not yet, but have you seen anybody who has had good eyesight, maybe 2020 and, and improve that even more by doing visual, by doing vision training? Uh, yes. I have a whole bibliography. Do you want me to, <laughs> you probably don't want me to list it to you. Uh, but yes, I, there, there is quite a bit of research on it. I should probably reach out to Dr. Huberman and send him that. That's really funny. He's brilliant. Uh, there, you know, he, he, as I'm sure, you know, he's a professor of neurobiology and ophthalmology at Stanford. And there's quite a bit of compelling research that you can make good vision better. Most baseball players have vision better than 2015 or most professional baseball players. And I'm sure they, noted better noted in that podcast that good vision is more than just seeing better than 2020 it's about having dynamic vision having efficient vision being able to move your eyes uh and you know left and right up and down in and out um being aware having periphery uh it's more than just seeing 2020 so um yeah, it's more than just seeing more than just seeing the bottom line on the chart for sure. So when you when you okay, let's just say someone comes to you and they have 2020 vision and they want to get 2015 vision. They're like I want to play professional baseball. I, I I need to have the best vision possible because that that's such a huge part of of the game. 
what would be, I mean, do you, what would be the, the typical assessment you would do? What, take me through the, the steps that, that you would do next with them. Well, first we do a normal eye exam, you know, the whole, which is better one or two tests, see if you're farsighted, nearsighted, have astigmatism, uh, and correct your vision the best we can with, you know, see if you do better with glasses, with contacts. And I'm pretty thorough. Uh, I'm probably more thorough than the average eye doctor, uh, for better or for worse. Um, you know, and I, I, a good doctor should meet the patient where they're at and read the patient, uh, not overwhelm them uh and correct them the best they can um there's oftentimes i take the patient outside and have them look at a sign and uh take them to where their world opens up and you know i, I say okay look across the street and double check their prescription outside if they want to wear contacts I, I i i'm a proponent of eye protection so if the patient's okay wearing uh, uh, glasses or goggles, which I prefer, because I there's a lot of flying cannons. There's uh, baseballs. How much does a baseball weigh? You know, Is it five ounces. Five ounces. You know, a five ounce baseball coming at you at 100 miles an hour. I think you should wear eye protection, but I know that's not the norm. So, um, but you know, I double check the prescription and um outside and then of course we also check to see if there's a tint that will help you have better contrast so um we check for an amber or a rose or like a plum and check that outside as well so i'm i'm more thorough than the average person than the average eye doctor and we check that all outside as well um and then uh i also check to see uh how well the eyes are aligned how well they work together as a team because that aids in depth perception and see if we need to uh, do any work there. Uh, depth perception aids in how well you see the ball in space. Uh, you know, am I going to catch a ball here or am I going to catch a ball here? That also aids in how well you judge the ball's velocity. Is that a 80 mile an hour pitch or is that an 80 Three mile an hour pitch. If you're off by three miles an hour, you're going to be off by two and a half inches, which is how big a ball is, right? Yeah, you're you're going to be screwed. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to tell subtle changes in velocity. Uh, so we need to make sure that your eyes are well aligned. Uh, you know, if your eyes are over converging a little bit, you're going to judge the ball is closer than it really is in space. If your eyes are diverging a little bit, you're going to judge the ball as being a little further away. So that depth perception is just as important, if not more important than visual acuity. I test contrast. Uh, so being able to see a white ball on a blue sky, being able to judge the laces on the white ball. So this is where, a, this again, I'm probably more thorough than how the would you? How would you judge the, be able to judge the laces on the ball? What would you do for that? Again, that's where I, I I have a special test called contrast sensitivity. Uh, it's, it's just a special test. Um, most eye doctors have that in their offices. Um, it's a percentile. Okay. Uh, so you can ask that at your eye doctor's office. Uh, what else do I test? Um, those are probably the big three. Um, I do have a special uh, tester here called the synaptic sensory station. It also tests for, uh, multiple object tracking in your periphery and, um, central peripheral integration, but at your average eye doctor's office, you can ask for depth perception. You can ask for contrast and you can ask for visual acuity. What about screen time? Mm -hmm. This is something that I was, when I was at the eye doctor, not that long ago, I mean, I, I always blow blow her up, unfortunately, with just so many questions because I'm always so curious about the eyes and vision, and it always goes back to baseball, of course. But one of the things that that she had told me was about every 20 to 30 minutes, if you're on a computer or a phone, you should take a break for even if it was just 20 to 30 seconds, blink several times and try to stare at something very far away. 
Was, mm-hmm. Is that something that you would recommend as well? So yeah, that doesn't mess up kind of how your, your perception? The conventional wisdom is this 20-20-20 rule for every 20 minutes on a screen, look 20 feet away for 20 seconds. I don't know how much I agree with that. Um, Dr. Huberman, since you've already uh, addressed him, would say that we all need to spend 20, uh, two hours a day outside. Uh, whether you're, I mean, even if you're reading uh, or even if you're doing computer work or going on a walk or playing baseball, we just all need to just be outside for two hours a day. Just getting that sunlight is important. Since we're talking about Dr. Huberman, he also, he's done so much research. Uh, being outside in the morning light and the evening light is incredibly important. Uh, there's just something about that horizon light, that kind of blue, yellow and blue, orange light is important. And I've lived that he's right. Uh, that really resets our circadian rhythm. I'm sleeping so much better since I've been taking my kids on walks in the morning and evenings and they're sleeping better too. Um, for a while, I was waking up at like 3 or 4 a.m. every night, not being able to fall back asleep. And now I'm making it to 6 a.m., 7 a.m. effortlessly. So thank you, Dr. Huberman. Um, I would try to limit the, the American, I know your your population's older, but the American Pediatric Association does say limit your screen time to two hours a day. Um, I would, but you know, it's it's so hard with school and work, you know, we're doing school and work on our screens. Uh, you know, it's almost impossible. Well, I've heard you, that. I've heard you say before that they that they shouldn't athletes shouldn't have screen time two to three hours before a game or a practice, because right. that can interfere with their, with the, the Z access quick quickness and depth perception. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would try to avoid aimless scrolling two to three hours before at least a game. So basically no social media. Um, right. Um, now if you can, if you need to do a quick text or a quick, you know, email, I get it, but aimless scrolling hours on end, I would avoid that because when we're looking, you know, we are in unprecedented times of looking up close at screens. Our, our species has never done this before. Uh, you know, in the last 20 years, is when we've been starting this habit. Uh, and, you know, our eyes were not created to do this. We are, were not intended to, to do this activity. And it's showing up in our sports performance. I've heard this kind of partly why we're doing this. Coaches are asking me, why are our kids not tracking well? And there's a system in each eye called the accommodation. There are muscles that move a lens in and out called zonular muscles. And uh, these muscles are literally spazzing out. It's a disease called accommodative spasm. Uh, the, the lenses are literally getting stuck. Thankfully, we can break the spasm in a couple of different ways. And this uh, program I've created, and we can touch on it in a little bit later, can break the spasm. And where I'm getting so tickled is the program, the 3V program is working and these kids are hitting better. And so um, another way of breaking the spasm or preventing the spasm is to decrease your screen time. But um, yeah, there've been so many kids and parents who have said just decreasing their screen time before games and practice has helped their performance a lot. They're just seeing the ball better. What about a fixation? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on fixation and holding a gaze for one spot for an extended period, especially from a, a hitting standpoint, or I guess a pitching standpoint too, from a, a hitter standpoint, I always felt that if I locked in on one specific place and just hold, like held that, it, I felt like my vision wasn't as good because, you know, it was just, my eyes got a little bit tired versus if I mm-hmm. looked away and then looked back. So if I was like looking at in the right field, the clouds up in, above the right fielder, yeah. and then I looked back right at the pitcher, right as he was going in his windup, it was a lot better than if I just solely looked at the pitcher the entire mm-hmm. time. Was the research 
say that's that's true? Well, bottom line, everybody needs to find what works for them. Okay. Uh, the only research that I have found that has been compelling is this combination of soft focus and pivot point. Okay. So, and everybody, not everybody, people have asked me, what do you mean by soft focus? So let me touch on that first. And my best example is an example of a tree or a paragraph. And I'll touch on both first. Or I'll touch on both of those first. So imagine looking at a tree and like, imagine like a, like a daydream view of a tree. Like you're just kind of aware that a tree is there. And then you look at the tree, the global, the global tree. And then you look at a certain sector of the tree. I have a big window in front of me. Look at my tree. And then I look at a certain branch of the tree. And then I see this, you know, uh, tuft of the leaves. And now I see a one leaf. And now I see one point of the leaf. Like I can really hone in and go from soft focus to fine focus. You know, you, you can control that, you know, from the, and then you can go back out to soft focus. So there's that philosophy, you know, you can start your hitting approach in soft focus, which is more relaxed. It's not, it doesn't take up as much energy. Um, another example is like looking at a page of letters. You know, you can look at the page full of letters and then look at a paragraph and then look at a sentence and then look at a word and then look at a letter, like letter I, and then look at the dot of letter I and then look at the I, and then look at the word, and then look at the sentence, and then look at the paragraph, and then look at the page, you know, kind of come out of that soft, defined focus again. You know, th there's that philosophy of soft and fine focus again. Same thing can apply with hitting. You know, you're in your, you're in your batter's box. You're kind of in your daydream focus, your soft focus. And then when you, uh, when you become aware that your pitcher is winding up, start honing in. And the studies show, and I forget who did this study, please forgive me, um, that you find a pivot point. And the pivot point that the, that the pros did in this study was, was the elbow they found the elbow of the pitcher. And the reason that worked for them is that was the shortest jump, the elbow to the hand was the quickest jump. So they were focusing on the elbow? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, from the elbow to the hand. Hmm. And the reason that worked for, the reason they figured that out on their own is whenever you your eyes do a quick jump, that's called a saccade. You know, when you jump from A to B, that's another type of gaze behavior. There's three types of gaze behavior. There's fixation, saccades, and pursuits. You can fixate on something, you can jump from A to B, or you can smoothly pursue A to B. And when you jump from A to B, what happens is that your brain suppresses the image. And so that saccadic that suppression is you lose the image. And so that's why that jump has to be short. And so going from the elbow to the hand, for whatever reason, worked for the pros. So that pivot point from the elbow was pretty common in the pros. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I remember a few years ago, driveline was using some like gaze tracking mm -hmm. goggles and, yeah. and looking at, at where the the hitters were looking at and i'm pretty I, I i'd have to double check again but i'm pretty sure the last time i checked it was a lot of the hitters were looking at right above like on the the, the hat right above the mm -hmm. of the player right in front of their forehead and then the hitters who were on time just slightly beat the the release point of the pitcher so their vision went mm -hmm. from looking at the top of the hat 
to beat just before the pitcher is at release point, beating them to release point. And then a lot of times they were on time versus mm -hmm. if they were late to release point from the top of the hat, then they yeah, were they anticipated. Right. I think that guy that did that, his name was Kyle Lindley. You should reach out to him. Um, but bottom line, you find a pivot point and you find a repeatable, reliable method that you do every time. And you're right. You don't want to lock in too early because that takes a lot of energy. Um, it's exhausting. So you start in a soft focus or, you know, whatever you said that you kind of looked away. Is that what you said? Yeah. You stay loose like your body does. Exactly. I, you know, you know, you're kind of in your rhythm and that includes your eyes. You sense the movement of your picture. And whenever he starts to move, you find your pivot point, whether that's the hat or the elbow or the shoulder, whatever, you know, is a, a, a close pivot point. And then you find the release of the, of the ball at the hand so that you can pick up the release when it happens. You anticipate. Which brings me release. to my next thought, which is how important decreasing anxiety is in the box or on mm -hmm. the mound because mm -hmm. if you're anxious I mean, that's got to affect your vision no totally so there's this whole concept and this is all related called quiet eye and that's starting your fixation on your target as early as you can maintaining your fixation on your target through the duration of the action and offsetting your fixation later than what feels natural. And studies show, and these studies are not done on baseball yet, but in golf, hockey, and basketball, and soccer, studies show that does decrease anxiety and incidence of choking. Um, so all of this is upper level neural processing and it can help with uh, that amygdala hijack and can help with uh, calm for sure. Wait, so the fixation can help with decreasing the anxiety? Mm-hmm. It's all related. So that, I guess what you're saying is maybe you should be necessarily fixated on on one thing and not maybe letting your eyes wander around as much. Well, at, well as, you, as you approach... Um, as you approach, there are, you know, there are some eye movements that can help decrease anxiety for sure. That are you, are you talking about during the pitch or before the pitch? I'm sorry. Um, well, I guess, yeah, once the pitchers, the, the pitch is thrown, I mean, you're kind of then at that point, it doesn't matter as much, but I'm, I guess I'm thinking that 15 to 20 second window in between pitches. Okay. Most important 15 to 20 seconds. I think there is, uh, as a hitter. <laughs> <laughs> right because you swing and miss you get a strike gets called on you and you don't think it's a strike yeah. your your coach says something and you're like oh man if I don't get a hit here then I might not play the next game I mean there's so many different things that are, are going can go through a hitter's mind so um there have been uh thoughts on you know lateral eye movement uh there is therapy called EMDR eye movement Oh, what does DR stand for? I forget what DR stands for, but where you move your eyes in a lateral movement that can decrease anxiety. Mm. You know, your brain can only really do one thing well at a time. And uh, so that can help your uh, anxiety decrease. So like, for example, I mean, anything that's lateral, like, you know, the rubber, you know, or uh, the dugouts, just finding something that's left and right of each other. Uh, it takes about six seconds of lateral eye movement to decrease your uh, anxiety. Um, I've heard of some uh, batters like looking down the barrel of the bat, you know, just finding something to fixate on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I think, and I've heard that before of, um, of people getting hitters to to focus on some a label on the bat or the mm -hmm. foul pole or just something that no matter where they're at they're it's going to be there right it's mm -hmm. so no matter what they can always have that part of their routine 
So yeah, hundred percent. I, I think that's important. Using your sensory system can be really powerful to ground yourself, to be aware of your triggers. Uh, you know, this makes me anxious. Something bad happened. Okay. To be aware something bad happened. I failed. I, you know, struck out. I, I had a strike that makes me mad. Okay. That happened. Don't judge yourself. Let's ground ourselves. Okay. Let's breathe. Let's um, ground ourselves in our sensory system. And, you know, our vision takes up 40 to 50% of our brain's real estate. It's powerful. It's a lot. And uh, it's not just sports, but lots of um, mental health programs like, and I'm going to go off down a little tangent, like AA or oppression programs or um, uh, PTSD programs. Like there's programs out there that use the sensory system to ground yourself. So why can't we use that in the sports and sports programs? You know, when you're in the arena, when you're in the middle of, uh, you know, your teammates, when you're in a performance situation, when you're in the middle of a crowd, when you're under pressure, when all the cards are on the table, it's a lot of pressure for a kid for a professional, when, you know, there's money on the line, when there's, when you're on TV, uh, you can use your sensory system to ground yourself. It can be incredibly powerful. And like I said, vision takes up a lot of your neurological real estate. So um, again, using, using lateral eye movement, using uh, fixation, using so lateral out. eye movement. So, and I just wanted to clarify, cause I'm more, I'm curious more than anything. So mm -hmm. you just mean, okay, I'm feeling a little bit anxious right now mm -hmm. and I should just move my eyes laterally be as far as they can go for seven to 10 seconds. And that's mm -hmm. going to help decrease anxiety. It's literally impossible to think when you're doing that. I'm doing you, it right. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I don't, you can you like forget what was bothering you. Um, that was discovered. I, I'm, I shouldn't even talk about it when I don't remember the name. Um, the, the, the person who discovered EMDR was like walking through nature and, uh, discovered EMDR and it's used widely throughout the mental health space now mm. as a powerful way of helping people through, uh, emotional issues. That's great stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you shared that. Yeah. What about visualization? I heard you on, I believe it was Garrison Roy's podcast, and I heard you talk about visualization, and I thought, man, that's interesting. I wouldn't expect visualizing help. I mean, I, I, I could see it helping maybe improve performance in a regard, but necessarily wouldn't expect someone to who's an expert in vision to talk about visualization for some reason. So why or is that even helpful to to improve your vision is visualizing? Like, is there research on that? Uh, again, that's kind of a, a Huberman thing. Um, and he's a, a professor of ophthalmology. Visualization is just an outward projection of our vision. And it's tapping into the same parts of our brain as vision. And so to, to use it to be proactive in our approach versus reactive can be a very valuable part of our, of your approach. So I don't know, please forgive me. I've never hit a ball with a bat in my life, but, uh, you know, it can be part of your decision-making loop, if you will, which can be, you know, part of any sport in any position uh, tactical, you know, CIA, uh, secret service, cops, uh, military, you know, I, I, you know, I have a friend who was an Afghanistan sniper and he, you know, there's something called the OODA loop, you know, part of that is observation where you immerse yourself, you know, you observe your surroundings, 
you know, you, but part of your plan is having one thought and part of your one thought is visualizing the one thing you want to do. So where do you want to hit the ball? That right center gap, for example. And you have to know your pitcher and visualize. And Dr. Huberman would say up to 75 times over and over and over, visualize where you want to hit that ball before you do it. And that way, whenever you, as you approach the plate, you don't just believe you're going to do it. You know, you're going to do it. And you don't just approach the plate with, with uh, cautious optimism. You approach the plate with annihilation. You don't just believe you're going to do it. You know, you're going to do it because you've, you've pre-planned it. You've, you're proactive because you visualized it. You've seen it. It's happening. It's already happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So 75 times that would be before the game starts. But before you're at bat, you know, yeah. before you're, um, you know, are, you, just, are you in the box when you're when you say visualize is it you seeing yourself from the hitter standpoint like you're in already in the box or is yeah. it from an outside standpoint first person from your standpoint mm-hmm. i'm sure that takes some practice to to get good mm-hmm. at yeah i think it's important to practice it at home practice it from you know wherever you feel most comfortable, whether that's your, 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 your bedroom, your, your driver's seat in your car, your, you know, just finding a, a safe cocoon to practice from that way, you know, when you're in the dugout, when you're walking out to the, to the batter's box, when you're in the batter's box, you're comfortable doing it. There's a, uh, the visual pathway, uh, I mean, what you're, I mean, it's not the same thing as doing it in real life, but what you're doing is creating that neural pathway so that whenever you're doing it, that neural pathway is open. Hmm. And it's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a physical neural pathway that you're opening and preparing. And, uh, that way it's, it's ready and you're confident. That's true. Yeah, it's already true. happened. What about, uh, I know we've been talking a lot about hitters and I, you know, full disclosure, I, I'm a hitting coach, so, but I, I don't want to forget about the pitchers here. So what would be some of the things that, you know, we've talked about hitting and, you know, focal point, things like that. What would be something from a, a pitcher standpoint, uh, focusing on the target, not focusing on the target right away? Like, is there anything that you've seen help pitchers from a, a vision standpoint or throw more strikes from something that they're looking at? Again, I think it just kind of depends on the kid. Uh, there was a post on, you know, there's the target itself. I think it depends on if it's a breaking ball or a fastball. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, find this post. You know, it's kind of like golf. You know, if there's a break in the in the green, you know, your target's not always the hole. You know what I'm saying? Um, let me find if I can find it. No, it's not gonna find it. Um, you know, your your target's not always gonna be, that's a really good question. Uh, so I think for a fastball, your target's always gonna be your target. You know? and. Okay. And kind of that same quiet eye fixation concept. If you can, you start your fixation on your target a touch earlier than what feels natural. You hold your fixation through the duration of your pitch the best you can, which is not, that's a lot easier said than done. Because when you rotate, there's something called the vestibular ocular reflex. Your eyes are going to rotate in the opposite direction of your body. 
Mm -hmm. And when you, when you rotate violently, your eyes do too. And so that's easier said than done, but just the best you can hold on to your fixation through the duration of your action. And then what's underrated is holding on to your fixation after the action, because if you don't, you're going to let go of your target earlier than you mean to we have this look away phenomenon like right now i have my coffee cup right here and so i want to get a drink of my coffee and so i'm going to look at it and right now i looked away from it before i hold held on to it i got the relevant information like i looked at it and then i looked at you and i i'm not going to even look at it while i get my sip i don't have to look at it but when you're doing as when you when you're doing something as specific as hitting a spot, you have to hold on to your fixation as long as you can. So you have to avoid that look away phenomenon. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to offset your fixation a touch longer than what feels natural. That's quiet eye. Same thing with hitting. Um, and it's not just about vision that's upper level neural processing. That is that anxiety we were talking about before that is decreasing the incidence of choking. That is staying in right brain. That is information processing. That's more than just, that's more than just vision. I, I, I like that's, that's more than you're asking. Uh, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, so where do you look when you're pitching? Yeah, you look at your target. You know, you're throwing what Dr. House would say, throw to the dime. I don't know if that's the right answer for a breaking ball. I'm not going to lie. Um, like if you want to throw to the, you know, up and down or up and in. Well, yeah, I think sometimes for the breaking ball, you for some, you need to aim at a different, I okay, there's some pitchers who try who tell themselves to try to hit the batter with the breaking ball, because they know if they aim for the batter, it's going to break back and it'll be a strike versus if they just throw where the catcher is set up and that's where they're aiming, it's going to be, end up being a ball. So is that, is that what you're saying by it's a little bit different for the breaking ball? I don't know for the breaking ball, if you aim at the apex or if you aim at the target. Um, pitching coach you on Twitter a few weeks ago, he suggested you aim at the apex of the break of the ball. So that's a that's a good discussion. Okay. I'll have to reach out to pitching coach you. Yeah, please do. That's what you do with golf. You would aim at the apex with golf. Yeah. And I would, I would venture, I would venture to say that's what you would do. Um, I'm so sorry. I don't know the answer to the question. That's all right. That's part of the, you know, the fun of, yeah. of asking questions to each other and, and doing mm -hmm. this podcast. And I would think you would aim at the apex. Okay. Yeah. One of the, th the other things that I was, uh, I heard on, I think it was Dr. Jeffrey Goldberg, I believe, mm -hmm. talk about is doing a, a he was doing a study or currently I think they're doing a study at Stanford mm. and within the study they have, they're having people use uh, goggles and the goggles decrease the vision of each athlete one thirtieth of every second, two thirtieths of every second, three thirtieths of every second. And then they take the, the goggles off and then they just perform, you know, whatever task it is. And of course you can imagine you take them off and you feel like you can hit anything or do anything because you just had your vision decrease slightly every couple, uh, every second, every couple seconds. Mm -hmm. Is that something that more people should be looking into right now? I mean, should they, people even think about, Hey, let's do, let's get an eye patch or let's, is there more creative ways to implement something like that where maybe you don't necessarily have the, the goggles that he's talking about, which I'm sure may cost a, a decent amount of money but there's something else you can do to uh, help with that. Um, shutter eyewear 
there's a place for shutter eyewear and vision training for sure. Okay. Um, I use it in my program. <clears throat> I, I don't think it's the first part. I don't think it's the foundational part. Um, so the foundations I'll get to it. I promise, you know, the foundational part of vision training is to start with the accommodation and the binocular stuff first. And I think once you have a strong accommodation of binocular system, then you do the shutter slash strobe eyewear. So to answer your question, yes, shutter eyewear is incredible once the accommodation and binocular system is solid. Okay. So strobe training with special, those special glasses where the flicker of the image in and out pretty much loads, overloads the sensory system. Um, just kind of think of it as like adding resistance training to your eyes. Does that make sense? hundred percent. So when you have them off, you should be able to see things more quickly and more accurately. So it's like, um, adding vision resistance. You're pretty much adding vision resistance to drills that you're already doing in practice. Um, you would never want to use them to, uh, against a pitcher or a pitching machine that's dangerous. Um, you would definitely want a solid binocular system before using them. And you would definitely not want to use them if you have a history of epilepsy. Um, I mean, there's never, I mean, it, it's not true strobe, like, you know, like a true like disco light, but um, there is a risk of having a seizure with them. Uh, because your image is coming in and out. Does that make sense? Oh, well, after that last part, I'm not as keen on trying it out with. I mean, if you've never had a seizure, you're probably fine. But if you have a history of having seizures, you just want to be careful. Okay, so we're probably going to be okay with kids for the most part. Yes, you should have an eye exam before using them. You want to make sure you have a solid binocular system. And it's valuable but in my program, I think setting the foundational accommodation and binocular system is more valuable before using the strobes. Does that make sense? Like, I think there's setting I, there's a foundational there's a foundational system to set first. Like, there's a it, again, I'm a doctor, and there's a there's a system you like there, you don't just throw them on a kid and say, this is going to work. You know, right. like there's a, there's a program. Yeah. So like, it's not, yeah, it's very similar to when you start lifting weights, you don't just go in there yeah. and start, you know, you need to understand how to squat first and hinge first and, and things like that and have the basic yes. movements down Thank first. You. But uh, it is a, it's a cool tool. And there's a study at um, Duke and IU. They had two college baseball teams that used the, the, strobes along with a couple of other things it wasn't just the strobes um each athlete on these two teams went through uh 17 sessions and the end result showed 41 feet and a 41 foot increase in hit distance and a nine degree increase in the launch angle of their uh hits so it i mean it's been studied and it did help their uh their hitting on the college level Interesting. So, I mean, so, it's, it's been proven it did help along with other therapies. Um, so it's, it's a proven product, but there's a, pro, there's a program that makes sense. So if a coach out there wants to do, and, I can, sort... and I can help you with that, I can help guide you with that program too. Okay. Yeah. Well, please do. What would like, what would be some of the basic steps that coaches could do? So my program's online. I'll give you a link right okay. now. It's free. And when I do start charging for it, it won't be a huge amount. And then I'll also give you a link to the strobes. Right now they're on this the Synaptec website. They're $2.99. My code will give you like 15 bucks. It's not a huge amount, but it's a little bit. Um yeah, and uh what I what I need to do is give you guidance on how to use the strobes. And it's not rocket science. Okay. Uh, but they, they are valuable, yeah. What would be some of the things that you, you would want to make sure coaches are doing before they use the strobes or, or I guess what would be that the, the typical guidance for that? Um, 
again, to use it in tandem with my 3V program, which is killing. I'm so thrilled. Have fun winning more games. It's mm. awesome. Um, have fun empowering your kids. It's so cool. Um, and just make sure your kids don't have a history of seizures. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my, I threw him on my nine-year-old the other day and he did get a little queasy. So just kind of keep an eye on him. How long like, should they be on for? No more than 15 minutes. Basically, my rule of thumb, you know, like, I wish I had mine, you know, the, um, I, like I said, I gave him to my nine-year-old the other day and all bets are off with him. Um, they're probably in his bat bag. Um, you know, there's levels one through eight level one, the shutter is faster mm -hmm. and, um, faster is actually easier to see through. And you, you know, I, I, he just did tea work with them in the cage. And, uh, I, and basically hit 10 balls off the tee. And if you can hit seven or more successfully, meaning you don't whiff it, then that's a success. So if you're hitting seven or more without whiffing it, go up to level two and level two is a little slower. Slower is harder. And then again, if it's seven or more out of 10 successfully, then go to level three. Basically level levels one through six are for hitting six and up like six and six, six, seven and eight is impossible. Six, seven and eight is more for like uh, vestibular work. You use six, seven, and eight for like weightlifting and balance work. Like that's where you're kind of getting off balance. Um, so that's kind of more upper level. Um, does that answer your question? And yeah. I can, I can, I can, you're giving me a, some homework. I can create a document and put it on my website on strobe training a strobe training program. That's what I'm going to do for you. I'm okay. sorry. I haven't. Or we appreciate it. So I guess all this information is going to be in the show notes. If someone wants okay. to, to check out the, the program, the foundational program before they start putting on the, the strobes, because we don't want any kids to have a seizure. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, that's just, and you know what? I bet the, I bet there's, um, I bet there, I bet it's in the manual too, but, um, that comes with the strobes. Okay. Um, any, any last, um, anything else you want to add to this discussion that you think maybe would help coaches or, or help players mm -hmm. from a, a vision standpoint or what they, they should or shouldn't be doing on a regular basis that that would benefit them? Oh my goodness. This is, you've guided this very well. Thank you so much, Patrick. Um, no, I think, again, setting the foundations, number one, each individual eye needs to have an efficient accommodation system, which is laid out in my 3V program. And then we need to make sure we have good binocular alignment, uh, which again is part of the program. Good periphery, not just periphery, but peripheral central integration. And then good vestibular ocular uh, uh, a good vestibular ocular, uh, system that, and once you lay down those core, uh, ocular foundations, the rest falls into place. Y'all are doing vision skills development in your reps. You're doing vision therapy in your practice. And when you do those reps, you're doing your eye-hand coordination. You're doing your reaction time. We don't need to waste time on that stuff because you're already doing it. These, these fancy programs online, these cute little cognitive stuff that are already out there, are they're really cool. What would be, what's an not, example? What's an example? Oh, somebody sent me something the other day. Um, what did Leo send me? Um... Uh, 
Vertec. There's one called, I think, S2. You know, some of these really cool online ones. And y'all can always DM me on my Twitter. Um, even Synaptic has some. But the the traditional stuff, the accommodative and the binocular stuff are, I mean, they're reaching your brainstem. They're exercising your actual eye muscles. And those are more powerful than anything. And where I'm so glad that y'all have brought y'all are the, the, the baseball community, like you and Alan Jager and Tom house and Ben Brewster are listening to me and where I feel like the baseball community needs some guidance from someone who knows eyes and how to exercise them is we're getting to the foundational level, the, the brainstem level. Uh, it's valuable and it's working and it's simple. It's not fancy. It's well, I'm sure it's it's probably complex uh, from your standpoint in the sense of everything you've had to learn over the years, but you're making it's, it's, it simple for, for guys, like, guys like me. Yeah, it's it's Vision Therapy 101. It's hilarious. And it's working. That's you awesome. know? And where can where can someone uh, connect with you? Where if someone wants to follow you and, and learn more about learn more about you, like what what would be a place that, that they should go? Would it be Twitter, your website? I feel like my Twitter's been uh, a good place to start. You know, my website's there. You can DM me. So let's just start there. All right. We'll put the, it's at Sports Visions on Twitter. Sports Vision Ins. Yeah, I saw that on there. Sports Vision Ins. Yeah, uh, I had to cut Institute short. Sorry. You're good. We'll put that, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. So people can just click that link and Thank you, straight sir. to your Twitter if they want to. Thank you for your interests. Thank you. I appreciate it for you coming on. It's been awesome. Been very, very helpful. I've learned a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the listeners will too. And look forward to to continuing to follow you. And look forward to, you know, helping coaches with your program. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. <laughs>